Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential. I'm your host, Jewel Peter, and on this podcast, we discuss the state of the cannabis industry, as well as any insights we feel might be valuable to our listeners. So without further ado, we'll get to the content. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. I'm doing a solo show today, and I think it's going to be just as fun as the shows where I have collaborated with people that are part of our micro cultivation. And we've got some great information today. We're going to follow a slightly different format than we have in the past, and that's because after visiting MJ BizCon last week in Vegas, we realized that there is a ton of information in other markets as well as Canada. So while Canada has a lot of information about the current industry because we are legalized and there is so much going on here, there is a lot going on in the U.S. as well and also globally. So we're going to break it down into those three categories today and we're going to start with Canada. According to Statistics Canada, $1.27 billion was spent by Canadian households in quarter three on cannabis. And tying right into that, we have a statement from Fire and Flower Corporation, which is a cannabis retailer. At the end of the quarter, the company operated 30 cannabis retail stores across the provinces of Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and the Yukon, including 10 cannabis retail stores. That commenced operations during the quarter. In addition, the company provided consulting and licensing services to two branded cannabis stores in Ontario. So what this is really clarifying for anybody that's unsure is the fact that provincially run stores are a major bottleneck in the industry. Independent retailers now have a proven track record of safety and consistency. And with Ontario being the province with the largest population and therefore the most likelihood of having the most cannabis consumers in that province, it's become evident that more retail stores will only help the industry. And this is a key indicator that a lot of the growing pains in legal Canadian cannabis are coming from a lack of easily accessible retail options. And that's because the retail options that are available are really based in major cities, while we have a lot of rural communities that would really benefit from having their own retail facilities as well, and would then in turn allow more consumers access to that product and allow them to get the education that they are looking for that they're not receiving from online retailers. According to BNN Bloomberg, Canadians bought nearly 100 tons of legal recreational cannabis in the first year of availability, while inventory levels have continued to rise, and that's according to Health Canada. Health Canada has also said 88,676 kilograms of dried flower cannabis was sold in Canada in the first year of legalization, according to its monthly cannabis tracking system, or for those of us in the industry, that's the CTLS. Overall, sales of legal dried cannabis by weight have nearly tripled since October of 2018. Meanwhile, the total amount of finished and unfinished dried cannabis inventory held by cultivators, processors, distributors, and retailers stood at 380,666 kilograms at the end of September. This ties directly back to what we were just talking about, about not enough retail facilities. Cultivators have the product, but they aren't able to deliver it, or they aren't able to deliver it in a way that consumers can access it and want to access it in a way that they want to purchase it, which is why illicit stores and growers are still able to operate because the purchasing options for the legal market haven't been made consumer-friendly and readily available. Consumers don't want to purchase online. We have 
evidence that demonstrates that they want to be able to go into a store and meet with a person and get educated on what they're purchasing. It also comes back to the fact that this plant really facilitates community. That's something that seems to be a little bit lost at the moment with the commoditization and corporatization of cannabis in the industry currently, but I really think we're going to see a move to go back to that as more and more craft cultivators come online and people who are truly passionate about the plant get more and more into the industry because it will bring us back to that community aspect. And that's something that I think a lot of people would really appreciate about the plant is that sharing of information and building a community aspect into the cannabis culture. So now we have information from Global News. And they say that the key to lower prices is outdoor cannabis. And I think it's also the key to diversity. So according to the Global News, outdoor Ontario cannabis grower 48 North says that it produced flour at this fall's harvest for 25 cents a gram, far, far lower than most of the indoor growers and their cost at $2 a gram. 48 North's lowest price dried flour is going to end up selling at retail in Quebec for under $7 a gram in a 3.5 gram container, Canada's cheapest legal cannabis sold in that size. The lower cost outdoor grows, and this is according to the company's CEO, are key to competing with the illegal market on pricing. According to Allison Gordon, the CEO, when you factor in the government's mandate, which is to eradicate the black market, then of course cost plays a huge role in that. When we have such a robust black market that people have been using forever, what is the motivation to go legal if the prices for legal cannabis are significantly more? So when we were in Vegas last week at MJ BizCon, several of the LPs in the different discussions that went on discuss their value brands versus their premium brands. And that's exactly what we're seeing this lead to in this conversation of outdoor versus indoor. Premium cannabis requires consistency in all factors. So if you're growing AAA cannabis, that's why it needs to be grown indoors, at least at this point in time. Outdoor cannabis is subject to nature, which is fine. You can still have a quality product. It just isn't going to look and potentially have the same uh, efficacy as something that has been grown indoors. What we're seeing in this conversation of indoor, outdoor, cost, price is the first steps into a more mature market where there are different price points for various consumers. And we see that in industries across the board where there are different price points because sometimes people want a very high shelf product and sometimes people want something that's more affordable. And that's where this value brands versus premium brands comes into play. An outdoor product can be an aspect of someone's grow or it can be the whole thing. And, and it doesn't necessarily need to fall into a value brand just because it's outdoor. But what we're seeing is a diversity. There is diversity coming to the market in the way of indoor versus outdoor, value versus premium, one consumer versus a different type of consumer. And all of that is just evidence that the market is beginning to mature, that we are going to have more options for different different aspects of clientele. And it's very exciting to see things like this start to come into play. And just branching off of that, 
in Vancouver, there was the idea that the real estate market was really going to take off in Vancouver and BC in general in regards to the emerging cannabis industry. According to this source, the emerging cannabis industry has not sparked the economic activity that many were expecting. While some large production facilities have been built, the cannabis market has suffered falling sales and stock prices have dropped. The industry has therefore not had the capital or demanded need to expand. This has resulted in eh, less than stellar commercial real estate sales compared to what was expected. And the good news is that there wasn't this surge of influx of construction because commercial real estate owners want to see stability before they go into action. But while the cannabis industry didn't spark immediate action and commerce in terms of real estate, there has been a positive impact on the real estate market. The cannabis sector is adding additional market for retail and industrial use. And the the long story on this is that cannabis provides an additional segment to a commercial market that wasn't there before, and it is just going to continue to grow. And that's according to BIV.com, which is a real estate source based out of Vancouver. A big reason behind the slow growth of the cannabis industry is control. And so at first, it wasn't evident where this control was coming from. I mean, obviously it was coming from the government, but it didn't play out that way at first. But now it's fairly easy to see that just like every part of of a new industry that's regulated, the government wants to prevent a bubble burst type of scenario in this industry specifically. And they do that by slow and steady growth. And it's better for the economy overall. So while right now we might be seeing a retail bottleneck, ultimately that problem is going to be solved and people are going to continue to buy cannabis and the black market is going to be phased out. It's just the nature of progress, especially when it is government regulated. And now, yes, it would have been convenient if the government would have said coming out of the gate that they were going to be rolling things out slowly on a as-need, I guess you could say, basis. But that wouldn't have worked because people would have been hesitant to take action. LPs wouldn't have funded as quickly. People wouldn't have made the moves that they've made. And so the government has tight regulations in place. And provincial governments have, in some cases, done the same thing. And now you have municipalities wanting control over where and how this cannabis is being cultivated. And it won't allow for zoning changes for hobby farms or small cultivations. But ultimately, that's really going to evolve. It's going to be a steady rise, especially in Canada. And and they're going to be really setting the mark for a lot of other countries to follow as they move into legalization. But consider how the Canadian government handles many aspects, and this is no different. It's a controlled rise to success, and ultimately using that model is going to lead to more long-term success than if they had just opened the gates and let chaos ensue. So at this point, now that we're talking about government aspects, we're going to move into the U.S. According to the Marijuana Moment, The bill that had several cannabis-related provisions has been scrapped, and it was attached to a large-scale spending legislation, but neither the House nor the Senate really pushed to make that happen. According to Normal Executive Director Eric Altieri, 
at a time when a record number of Americans support ending the failed prohibition on marijuana, it is incredibly disappointing to see that Congress continues to ignore the will of their constituents on this important issue. Supporters of legalization are engaged voters, and we shouldn't be treated as a bargaining chip in spending negotiations when justice and liberty are at stake. These spending bills, which were released on Monday, are the latest losses for cannabis reform in the appropriations process. Defense authorization legislation released last week also saw two House-passed veteran-focused marijuana provisions scrapped. So what does all that mean? Well, what it means is that it's clear that legalizing marijuana or cannabis, however you want to term it, is not a priority for the House or the Senate, and they must, in their position, feel that they have higher priorities. However, what I think is really going on here and what it's coming down to is the fact that the stigma of cannabis still remains quite prevalent in the U.S. With millennials, it's definitely much less so, but because so little has been done to allow research groups to study cannabis, there's no education in place already for people to understand why cannabis can be beneficial and to reverse the war on drugs, quote-unquote, mentality in regards to cannabis. Of course, the government doesn't want to acknowledge and openly allow cannabis education because it would unravel things that have been put in place at certain times to support specific agendas. And that's really what we're seeing is that it's not a priority for them because it's a bit like a ball of yarn. And if you start unraveling that ball of yarn, there's it, it's quite a long, drawn-out ball of yarn to try and re-educate an entire nation when you've given them one agenda and now you want them to think a different way. That's not something that happens with just one or two bills. In the case of a younger population, yes, millennials are very much already on board in most cases, but when you're talking about the rest of the population and certain specific areas of the U.S., it's not as simple as just passing a bill through the House or the Senate. And that leads us right into our conversation of the U.S. market as a whole. So according to Benzinga, the U.S. legal cannabis market is forecast to grow $30 billion by 2025 as state markets quickly cannibalize demand from the illicit market, thereby achieving a key objective of legalization in undercutting the unregulated activities. Through the robust growth in currently legal markets, cannabis will likewise continue to be a significant generator of new jobs, from 258,437 jobs in 2019 to a projected 700, almost 750,000 jobs in 2025, an increase of 188%. And of tax revenues for the federal and state governments, $1.41 billion in 2019, projecting to $4.06 billion in 2025. Given the growth seen in Colorado's successful program, a prosperous market is achievable if deftly managed, and critical growing pains are avoided. However, it does take years for the market's economy to stabilize, a period during which which efficiency, scale, and competition all increase quite dramatically. Even as Colorado's legal market nears saturation, wholesale prices, which have already fallen by half in that state, are expected to continue to fall, further driving consolidation as less efficient and under-differentiated producers are displaced by high-performing operators. 
So the U.S. market is going to continue, and it is going to happen state by state until the federal government legalizes. By making this a state priority as opposed to a federal priority, the federal government is effectively letting the market stabilize and mature in a case-by-case basis on its own without any large-scale risks because it's happening at this slow and controlled rate rather than at a federalized mass rate with unforeseen growing pains and issues The process of federal legalization is occurring, although it doesn't appear as though it is. As this article stated, the prices are going to continue to adjust in Colorado and all other markets being driven by efficiency and differentiation. And that's really the key to success here is efficiency. So being good at what you do and being efficient about how you do it and being different from the competition. You have to have some secret sauce that's going to make you different to the consumer, even if it's a marketing angle or if your product really is more valuable to one sector of the population than it is to another. That needs to be made clear in order to differentiate yourself from another cannabis grower. And we see that in markets all the time. There's always room for something new when it's different from something else, even if slightly similar. Look at how many different types of makeup there are, or shoe brands, or clothing brands. It's exactly the same here. Or even bread or cheese, another consumable. It's the same exact thing. It's marketing and branding and finding a way to niche into a specific market. So now we're going to discuss somebody who is doing very well in the legal markets that are available in the U.S. This is according to the Financial Post. Cresco Labs, one of the largest vertically integrated multi-state cannabis operators in the U.S., announced today that it won the U.S. cannabis company Game Changer Award at the inaugural MJ Biz Daily Awards in Las Vegas, which recognizes excellence and impact in the cannabis industry. The MJ Biz Daily editorial staff and a panel of industrial judges selected Cresco Labs as the winner for the company that demonstrated true innovation, pushed boundaries, expanded its business, influenced public policy and rulemaking at all levels, all while showing strong business performance. According to Charlie Batchel, CEO and founder of Cresco Labs, Today, we remain squarely focused on our objective of building the most important cannabis company in the U.S. We will achieve this objective by responsibly and rapidly expanding our market presence, remaining committed to our mission to normalize and professionalize cannabis, and by being a catalyst for positive change in the communities with which we operate. This statement from Charlie is exactly the kind of thinking and mindset that's going to change the U.S. markets in regards to the thinking surrounding cannabis in certain areas of the U.S. There needs to be more widespread education, and there will be. It's the same way that they've normalized anything in any developed country. Consistent exposure to the right kind of information, but this time backed by facts and the benefits of the plant versus an agenda that created a scenario in which cannabis was a villain. And that's everything that we have to touch on for the U.S. And now we're going to get into our global information for today. So according to Born to Invest, a company based out of Australia, Kangia, is aiming to interrupt the shortage of cannabis medicines. They're trying to solve this problem by installing Australia's largest in-house pharmaceutical grade facility to grow and manufacture high quality medical cannabis products. 
As more countries begin to legalize medical cannabis, there is a growing demand around the world. Many countries that allow the use of medicine do not allow its cultivation, which means that they need to import it from countries that do grow cannabis. And what I think about this is it's a very interesting model. They're essentially farming out the cultivation aspect of the cannabis. So for brands that want to be a cannabis brand but don't feel comfortable actually cultivating the plants, this is a good option. It's clear that cannabis cultivation is here to stay, and it is going to be approached in many different ways, this being just one of them. I personally am a fan of the unique and personal aspects of craft and microcultivation and the relationships that a craft and microcultivation and a craft brand can build with their consumers. Sometimes these alternatives, though, are necessary in some places to provide consumers who really do need a product with safe and consistent access. But in the long run, I think craft is superior and is always the clear choice whenever possible. And now I'm going to share with you some exclusive content from MJ BizCon while we were there in a conference regarding the European market and the access available there within. I'm just going to be candid with you here. The reality is that there isn't much of a legal market there yet. Some countries have legalized in bits and pieces. Obviously, we know Germany has legalized and does import. Uh, Italy has also been importing from Canada. But the reality is that it's, it's sort of a test phase. And that's why I say there isn't much of a legal market there yet in Europe as a whole. But these countries are watching and waiting, and they have cannabis on the back burner. So it's definitely something that at any moment could be pushed out and rolled out into a formed plan of legislation where it is legalized. The UK has strict medical cannabis allowances, but does allow CBD derived from hemp. So there's quite a CBD market developing in the UK, and the next natural progression is to go into cannabis that contains THC. Germany is the largest consumer of cannabis in Europe, but the standards for cultivating there have a prohibitively high cost because the security measures essentially dictate that you have to have a bunker with two foot thick concrete walls all the way around for any cannabis to be stored within it all. The entire building has to be a vault. The World Health Organization, and this is from a source directly at MJ BizCon, the World Health Organization is currently discussing the descheduling of cannabis, but it is at this point an ongoing conversation. And as with most cases we've seen, CBD will be the first topic that will be discussed, and then they'll move into cannabis with THC. And the countries that are looking into legalization the most actively are France, Switzerland, Luxembourg, and Ireland. And some of those countries have imported uh, four products that are used for medical cannabis and there is uh, a normal branch which we referenced earlier as they are lobbying in the U.S. for cannabis uh, legislation. They have a group in Ireland as well and I, I have heard some discussion about both Switzerland and Luxembourg importing from Canada but they are technically not fully legalized countries yet but the writing is becoming evident that they are looking to make a move into that direction. The reality is that the landscape of the cannabis industry is changing every day. As more and more people realize what the plant's capable of, what this really comes down to is a very intense need for more open research and to untangle cannabis from the associations that it has been labeled with. So it has a negative connotation to a lot of people. 
because of the psychoactive factor and because in a lot of cases that has been either abused or unregulated. But, but the true reality is that this plant can benefit a lot of people in a lot of different places. And that's something that has to be recognized. And the way to get more countries on board for a global legalization is to get more research done and share that research with other countries globally, with government agencies, so that it's clear that this plant is not a threat. So that's all of the information that I have for you today. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you want to discuss any of these aspects further or you have any specific questions about MJ BizCon or what it was like, feel free to reach out to me. You can also leave a review on this podcast if you enjoyed it or share it with someone else who's interested in the cannabis industry from a micro cultivation or craft grower perspective. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions about today's topics or the cannabis industry in general, feel free to send an email to jewel at cwcultivations.com. That's C-W-C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-I-O-N-S dot com.